In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Last week, Father Millard urged us to walk the wilderness of Lent in the light of Psalm 25.3. Show me your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Today's Psalm 16 tells us how we can learn the ways and see the path. Listen again to verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not fall. Lefties don't despair. The entire tribe of Benjamin was left-handed. God's got you covered. I have set the Lord always before me. Father Millard suggested prayer, fasting, Bible reading, and meditation, but always? How do you do that? Think of it this way. When you deeply love somebody, that person is never far beneath the level of your consciousness. Whether you're doing anything that has anything to do with them or not, they are never far from you. That's the way it is with God. If we love God, we will want to set the Lord always before us, to practice being aware of his presence until it becomes natural to us, like breathing, to set him always before us. That's faith in God, for God, with God. Today's Old Testament lesson shows us a man who did that very thing. He lived that way. His name was Abraham. But what is he to us? Well, lots of people are sending money and DNA samples to labs to find out who they are, what their origin was, who their relatives are, and so on. Well, I'm here to tell you <clears throat> that we are the family of God and you don't need to submit a DNA sample because I will tell you that your great, 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 many great grandfather is Abraham, specifically identified in scripture as the father of our faith. Back in October, you may remember, we identified the acts in God's great drama. One was creation. Does anybody remember what was next? Fall. Third, redemption. Here we are. God's covenant with Abraham was the beginning of the redemption plan. For through Abraham's line came Christ Jesus, our Savior. Through Christ, we get our family, faith, DNA from Father Abraham. So it follows that we're going to resemble Father Abraham in the way that a child may resemble a remote ancestor. Different clothing, different background, maybe different color, but same family for sure. And so this morning we look at Genesis 22 to see what our family faith looks like. But before we get into the story, let me just say something about it. Most of you do not know that for 44 years I was a teacher of literature. I started at the age of six. <laughs> and on the ground of that experience, I say to you, that our reading in Genesis 22 is a masterpiece of storytelling. It is powerful. It is powerful because it is minimalist. The, envir it, the environment is elemental, mountains, rocks, wood, fire. The cast is small, God and two human actors. The plot is single, 
dialogue is sparse. Isaac has one line. Abraham has two. By contrast, think of the flood of words that we deal with every day. Tweeting, texting, phone calls, ads on TV, blah, blah, blah. It never stops. And as a result of that, it is very hard for us to really listen and pay attention to anything. In the hand of modern script writers, our brief narrative could become a mini-series or a long-running soap opera. Think what you could do with it. What was Isaac thinking? Who were the two servants, and what did they chat about all day? Well, what did Abraham and Isaac say in three days? And where was Sarah? And what was she thinking? And so on and on and on. And the story would have lost its punch. But as it is, every word counts, including a Hebrew word that we need to learn. Don't panic. You already know three words of Hebrew. Hosanna, amen, and except in Lent, hallelujah. So today we add a fourth word, a word that's spoken by Abraham, a word important because it actually drives the action in this story. Whenever you hear it, something big is going to happen. I'll give you the word and we're gonna practice it. It has three syllables. He, nay, knee. Do it again. He, nay, knee. And again, he, nay, knee. You're getting pretty good. Now, alas, there's no good English, trans English translation of he, nay, knee. So it's usually translated, here I am. But it means much more than that. Hebrew has another word for just calling the roll and saying here. That word is po. It goes, William, po. Mary Jane, po. Brian, po. Hineni is not a roll call here. Hineni means this, get this. I am totally attentive. I am totally available. I am totally ready to do whatever you want. Be careful to whom you say that. That's a power word. Now the word hineni, say it again please, occurs only eight times in the entire Bible. So if it's that rare, why am I making such a big deal out of it? Because of those eight times, three are in our story. Three times, Father Abraham says, Hineni, and each time something big happens. Hineni number one, God calls Abraham. Abraham answers, you say it. Hineni. Totally attentive, totally available, ready to do whatever you say. And God says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah, to a mountain that I will show you, and offer him as a burnt offering. See when you, why you want to be careful when you say hineni? 
what's going on here? Is God advocating child sacrifice? Absolutely not. The Bible is very clear that child sacrifice common in the ancient world was absolutely abhorrent to our God, absolutely forbidden. So what is this? Well, as readers, we know something that Abraham doesn't know. This is a test. He doesn't have anybody to say, this is a test. This is only a test. Jewish scholars have identified 10 tests that God gives Abraham. This is the final test, and surely it is the hardest. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Now, in this terse dialogue of this story, why all those words? Abraham knows who his son is, and so do we. God's covenant with Abraham specified that Isaac, the only son, the miracle child, born when his father was 100 and his mother was 90, Isaac would be the person through whom all the nations of the world would be blessed. God's entire redemptive plan depends upon Isaac, the son, the only son. So we don't need to hear the word son for information. We know all that, but we hear it anyway. Son, son, son. 11 times in 14 verses, son, son, like the beat of a drum, building tension, power, rather like the constant drumbeat of Ravel's bolero until the moment when Abraham raises his hand to kill his son. This story grabs us because it evokes our deepest emotions, our relationship with God, our relationship with people we love, and it evokes our deepest fear, death. Inevitable, always grievous, but the death of a child, painful beyond imagination. But Abraham has said, hey, Nini, so what is he going to do? He obeys. No delay, no argument. How can he? He can obey because he knows God. Doesn't know about God, knows God. For years, he has kept the Lord always before him. He knows that God loves him. He knows that God is the giver of life. He knows that God always keeps his promises. So he knows that God is going to preserve Isaac. He doesn't know how. But you heard him say to the servants, we'll go to the mountain to worship, then we will come back. Not I, we. Centuries later, the writer of the New Testament book of Hebrews writes, by faith, Abraham, when put to the test, offered up Isaac. He considered the fact that God is able even to raise someone from the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham obeyed because he knew God, and he knew he could trust God, totally, no matter what. 
Hineni number two. Father and son walk toward the mountain. Isaac carries the wood, Abraham carries the knife and the flintstone. Isaac stops and says, Father? And Abraham says, And Isaac says, we've got wood and fire, but where's the lamb? Now that's a perfectly sensible question. Abraham could say, don't ask, or you're too young to understand. But he really can't because he has said, he nae He has to answer. So he gives a faith answer. God himself will provide the lamb, my son. There's that word again. So Isaac's question answered, they walk on. Now, so far, the action has been very swift. Now the story goes into slow motion. Abraham builds an altar. Think how long that would take. Then he lays the wood on the altar. Then he binds Isaac and he lays him on the altar. Then he picks up the knife, and at that moment, the angel of the Lord shouts, Abraham, Abraham. Now, when God calls your name twice, it's like your parent calling you by your whole name. Mom says, Jonathan Neil Millard, and Jonathan freezes. Abraham cries, Nanny. And the angel shouts, stop, don't touch him. I know now that you are totally obedient to God since you have not withheld your son, your only son. And God does indeed provide an animal to take the place of Isaac. What a terrific story. But what does it mean to us, to you and me on a February morning four millennia later. Actually, we have a great advantage over Father Abraham. From our vantage point in history, on this side of the cross, we can see much more than he could ever see or imagine. We can see parallels in the life of Jesus and in our own lives. We have John 3.16. For God, what? So loved the world that he gave his only painful as it was because he loves us. If you are amazed by Abraham, have you ever thought what it cost God the Father to send his son? His only son, our Lord, we affirm in the creed. And we see that Isaac was beloved of his father. And we know that Jesus was beloved of his father. We heard him say it at the baptism, this is my beloved son. And wonder of wonders, in our baptism, God declares us his beloved sons and daughters. We live as the beloved. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. You heard it in that Romans passage. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation 
shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing can separate us from God's love. We see Isaac, the beloved, totally submissive to his father. We don't know how old Isaac was, but for sure he wasn't a little boy. After all, he carried wood and walked for three days. He could easily have run away or overpowered his aged father, but he didn't. So to Jesus, in Gethsemane he prayed, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, your will be done. And he could have come down from the cross even then, but he didn't. And he taught us to pray, thy will be done. We see Isaac as he walks with his father to the mountain, carry wood, the wood on which he will be sacrificed. So too Jesus, on his walk to Mount Calvary, carries the wood, the cross on which he will be sacrificed. What about us? We heard it in our gospel lesson. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross. Carry the wood. Follow me. On the third day, Isaac was resurrected. On the third day, Jesus rose again, victorious over death. And so we know that we too will rise again. We affirm it in the creed. We believe in the resurrection of the body. Death, our ancient enemy, cannot defeat us. We will live forever. Well, that's our faith family DNA. Passed down from Father Abraham through our Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ we are daughters and sons of God, so we trust him. And we do what he says. We obey people we trust. Perhaps a doctor, perhaps a financial advisor, or the fireman who calls out, jump, I'll catch you. So why not trust the one who knows us completely, who loves us completely, whose knowledge is perfect, whose will is our good. Knowing him, let us keep the Lord always before us. Listen for his voice and to him say, Hineni, here I am. Attentive, ready, to do whatever you ask. Remaining seated, will you pray with me? In the words of Maya Angelou, put it in my mouth, Lord, and I will say it. 
put it in my heart to do, Lord, and I will do it. And with poet John Berryman, may I stand until death forever at attention for any your least instruction or encouragement. I even feel sure you will assist me again, master of insight and beauty.